Hello and welcome to another episode of Analyzing Mormonism. It, it's been a really long time since we've posted anything. Like how many months? <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, we're, we'll try to get back with it. Hopefully we'll do it bi-weekly, which means twice a month, right? For one of the meetings. She's just looking at me with a grin and says, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, we went on, for today's episode, we went on, we went on a trip last week or two weeks ago. We went to Nauvoo, Illinois, where the saints were living in the 1840s. Or the beginning of the 1840s? For seven years. <laughs> anyway, we, I just wanted to talk about our trip. And I've shared some videos on TikTok um, show, telling different stories of what was happening there and showing some of the, the footage that I got while we were there. Anyway, so we're just going to talk about that today. And yeah. So this was America's first time going. I grew up going because we only live like six hours away. And for some reason, my parents, there was eight kids. And so it's a cheap... Um, vacation <laughs> yeah it's a cheap we'd always we'd always stay in tents we didn't uh we didn't stay in hotels or anything fancy um so we just camped out and all eight of us were just so I grew up going to Nauvoo and so going back again as an ex-Mormon was just super different like somebody commented on one of my videos they're like why are you going to Nauvoo if you hate the church I was like first of all I don't hate the church like that's not I dislike the leadership of the church I guess you could say or I'm critical of how they're running things. I love church history. It's just really fascinating to me. <laughs> I think you think that the church can do better. Yes. Um, so you're criticizing in a way that says you can do better than this. And also you could be honest about all this history that is really, it's really damning. It's really damning history that I personally, as a member for my entire life, went to four years of seminary, went to four years of school at BYU-Idaho, had never heard of any of this. So anyway, if I had known about it, I would have probably, I don't know, <laughs> first of all, been less shocked when I heard about it two years ago. But um, at, at the very minimum, I would have been able to say, wow, we had some terrible history, um, but uh, that's just the way it was and we can do better, you know. But that's, the church hides everything and so we want the church to do better. Well, as you were talking, I was thinking of, like a parent talking to their teenager saying like, you can do better. You, you can be better than this. The parents saying that because they love the child and they want the child to be and do better. Exactly. And so like, I grew up with a deep, deep love for the church. And I, I felt like I was so, no, I, I would say I was completely converted, but then learning this true history was like, oh, you haven't been being honest with me. Anyway. Um, so this is America's first time going. It's my like 20, who knows how many times I've gone. Um, but this is your first, what were your initial thoughts or were you were you not excited to go at all or um, I just dragged you along <laughs> with me <laughs> I was like hey guys we're all going to Nauvoo <laughs> so Julia was like well how would you feel if we went to Nauvoo and I was like oh yeah of course if you want to um it, my thoughts were I mean I don't I I don't necessarily find like excitement in going to Nauvoo so so I don't really find a lot of excitement in Nauvoo but I also had never been there, and also, like, I don't have any nostalgia for it, whereas Julia has tons of nostalgia for it. Um, so, but I I have a lot of love for historical sites. Um, but yeah, I do have a lot of love for historical sites, um, and I love to support Julia in her research about Mormon history. So I was like, yeah, of course, I, I totally support you, and we'll 100% go there. I was not expecting to be thrilled by the experience <laughs> um, because I knew that it would be uh, if not a hundred percent Mormon like very very high levels of 
active Mormon um, participants. So, um, which is, I love the Mormon people in general. Um, I, how do I say this in a kind way? <laughs> I expect them to judge me um, just as I walk down the street. I, ex I expect to have um, stairs. You know, people staring at us as we walk oh, by. Because we're so, a lesbian couple? Because we are a lesbian couple, which we did get. Um, Julia walked in front of me on the way into the only place to eat in town. And uh, she was wearing little short shorts, looking very cute. And this lady <laughs> stared at her, just looked her up and down. <laughs> and then she looked up at me and I made eye contact and I smiled. I just grinned really big. I was like, hi. Um, <laughs> I don't know if she... She blushed or not, I, but I hope she did. <laughs> one, thing, one thing I did notice is that some of the sites, I think, to my knowledge, some of the sites in like not in Utah, I mean, um, they, they expect non-members to come in and to mm -hmm. have these tours. But everyone, like, we were treated like we were members. Mm -hmm. They like, expected us they to expected be members. They expected us to be members, even though, like, we were, like, I thought it was obviously we were a couple. Like, I'm not wearing modest clothes to some degree. But, like, like everyone assumed we were Mormons. Like... Mm -hmm. I don't know. I was like, that's that kind of hurts your people coming, your audience. Yeah. Your... Well, I, and I wonder if the fact of the matter is nobody comes unless they're Mormon. Like, who, who knows about this tiny tourist trap town in the middle of you know Illinois? Yeah. My guess is that it's just a grand majority that are Mormons, so they just kind of make a make an assumption like you're probably also Mormon. Like, I don't know. Well, like, on my mission, sorry, this is, I'm not trying to take us down on a tangent, but, like, on my mission, I was called to the Visitor Center in Park City. And and what that is, so I trained a little bit on, on Temple Square, and then I got to be at the Visitor Center. That's It's not there anymore. It's just an empty building because they had to shut it down. But I was there for six months, and people would come in all the time, and we would ask, oh, are you members or not members? And then we would we would cater our tours to to that cause mm -hmm. to whether they were long active members or not members anyway i would i guess i just would have appreciated if these um visitor center sisters or navu sisters could have done something like that um i don't know that they could give very much more than that though because so when when we were there and we would ask questions or we would actually answer <laughs> the same question that we asked them <laughs> that's a bad habit of mine um the sisters didn't have very much information about... Or the about, senior couples. Yeah, or the senior couples. They didn't have very much information about what their topic was. They had um, just like a general idea that was given to them, a general script of what to say. And then if you asked any questions, they kind of just had to give you a generic answer because they didn't... Like, they just didn't have a lot of information. And they have... There is a very strict control on what information they do have. I think one of the sisters had like a little a flip book or like a... A mm -hmm. binder with like approved information on that mm -hmm. topic anyway so yeah i thought that was another really interesting thing so like what i i felt like we were asking pretty basic questions we were in the masonic hall and i asked the man what year it was built because because i was like so in the red brick store they did masonic rituals so when was this built like what like did they build it so that they didn't have to use the red brick store anymore and he had no idea he was like i have no idea when this building was built and i was like oh figured that's would be like one of the questions you would know <laughs> but i also 
figured out that they just cycle them through all of the buildings so they don't get bored. So they probably have like a very limited knowledge about each of the locations. Like they're not historians. Whereas, and that's true. We, I, I shouldn't judge them as, as historians. And we would ask, like, what happened to these people when they left for for Utah? And they're like, oh, or, like, did they go to Utah? And they're like, oh, I don't really know. Some of them, like, kind of vaguely knew. Or they're like, oh, I assume they went west. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, she got married again. And, like, oh, didn't, yeah. Didn't mention <laughs> so that. So I was like, oh, she got married again. And I look it up. Yep, she was a polygamous wife. <laughs> oh, yeah. So... The the words polygamy were never were not in the tours the the, of, LDS, the LDS church. yeah they weren't in there at all no one ever mentioned it like like just because so they gave us a little brochure map and I was really excited because I was like trying to find I've been reading Todd Compton's book and studying polygamy and I w- I was trying to like find sites that that I could tag or tie to these women. And so I was carrying around Todd Compton's book because I thought it would be cool to just be like sitting in one of the buildings and like read or or go over some of these stories again. Anyway, so a lot of the missionaries asked me what book I was reading because it's this huge red book. And I was like, oh, it's it's Todd Compton. He's a Mormon historian who talks about polygamy. And they like, one of the guys who did the wagon ride, he just shut down and walked the other way. Mm-hmm. Like he just seemed totally uninterested. And then whenever we were in like Scoville's bakery, <laughs> they're like, oh, what are you reading? And I was like, oh yeah, I'm just trying to track down Joseph Smith's plural wives. And we were at Sylvia Lyons house or Sylvia Sessions house and Patty Sessions and and I listed off a few wives and they just stared at me with their mouths open. And, and I was like, oh, okay, go on with your tour. <laughs> like, anyway. Talking about bread. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> We're here to learn like, what you have to say. Like yeah. the, the site, the, the missionaries, the Mormon missionaries do a pretty good job of giving you like a basic idea or taste of what frontier america was like but they don't they're not historians like you said so we shouldn't expect them to behave that way although i would have appreciated the church giving them more information (laughs) yeah that's what frustrated me the most is like they didn't even have the ability to to google it like like i asked them about uh who was it the the relief society oh sarah granger yeah sarah granger i was like how come she or like was she in the first presidency and if not why why Sarah Granger was the one she kind of lives almost away from the buildings way far out of town and she's the one that had the idea to get a sewing circle together and she was like hey we should just like kind of start a society but she's not she kind of she's not the main Mm -hmm. she didn't start relief society and she was not in the first presidency Emma Emma you know Emma Smith became Sarah Whitney and I can't remember Eliza Eliza was the secretary I can't remember who the other counselor was they didn't know the answers. Some, one of the guys on the tour had to look that up for us. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, the sisters didn't know, and they didn't know why she wasn't in it. And then we found out that she was. She became um, relief society leader of a, when they split into wards. So she did eventually become one of the leaders. But it was just um, interesting that they had very little information on it, and they tried to look it up on their little devices. But it's but it's controlled. They have a limited access to to research these things which i find pretty disturbing i mean they're like controlled information like they can't like even if i sparked in their mind hey i have a question about this thing they will not be able to research it because they have no access to the internet or to free speech of any kind they only have exactly what the church wants them to know and no more one of my favorite stories was when we went to lucy max home and i 
um, I have Mark Elwood's books about the glass liquor. And in one of them, this is the first time I'd heard it. But after buying his book, there's an illustration of Lucy Mack Smith smoking a pipe. And I was like, what the heck? And I look because he has all of his all of his illustrations sourced. And and I remember that that had happened, but I didn't remember what the source was. Anyway, so we were in her house. America was like, is it true that Lucy smoked a pipe? And the sisters immediately were like, no, no, no. She never smoked a pipe. That's not a thing. And I tried to kind of, like, give them a way out. I was like, oh, well, you know, they didn't really practice the word of wisdom back then. So, like, it would have been totally normal for her to smoke a pipe. But they, she was, like, <laughs> she was adamant. And I, I even made a comment, like, oh, you know, because they had, like, a whiskey. They had a whiskey shop and everything. Like, and it said holiness to the Lord. And she was like, yeah, it was for preservation. And I was like, okay, sweetie. <laughs> Make you believe that. <laughs> Like, it, like, true, I can only, like, there's only one source that I can find that Lucy did smoke a pipe. But, like, there, there's no problem if she did because, like, like you said. Like, everybody did. Like, right. everybody smoked. And everybody Joseph was drinking. Whiskey. Yeah. Like, Joseph, everybody drank yeah. wine. Like, it was not He had abnormal. a bar in the Nauvoo house. Like, I'm pretty sure it was a Nauvoo house. Mm-hmm. But, like, he, anyway, that I, I just was surprised that she was so adamant about something she knew nothing about, I guess. Because it doesn't line up with what the church has taught. But the right. LDS church has taught her is the one and only way, which is to follow the word of wisdom. Because if you smoke a pipe, you're going to hell. Wait, that reminds me of, I don't, maybe this applies, but like on my mission, I remember very distinctly, the probably the first time I was exposed to the truth claims about the book of Abraham. Like I'm a missionary and I graduated from BYU-Idaho, but like for some reason my like the book of Abraham was like, what's that? Like, what what even is this? <laughs> like, I've read it before. But anyway, um, we were walking out of a member's home. We had just had dinner with them. And the member goes, hey, did you see that the church released an essay about how Joseph didn't actually translate the book of Abraham? And I was like, what? And I, my, I just stared at him with my mouth open, sort of like these sisters were doing with us. Like, and I was like, that can't be right. That was the first thing that came to my head was this, that can't be true. And then I walked away. Like, we just left because... Our appointment was over. Did you say that? I can't. That no, can't I just true. I just stared at him like what? Because he's telling me, and he's a member of the church. Like he's active, and I was like, like why would he lie to me? Like this doesn't make any sense. But that can't. Anyway, so I didn't realize then because I was in 2013. I didn't realize he was referencing a, a, a gospel topics essay about that. But were you allowed to read gospel topics essays as, as probably because we? Yeah, I think so because it's on the church's website. If it has the church's logo on it, we were at least my mission presidents. We were allowed, but the thing is, we don't have internet. Like, I didn't have iPads. We didn't have anything like that. So on P days, once a week, we can get on the internet for for an hour. I think it was just an hour. But you're you're emailing your family that whole time, so you don't have time to research things. Like, there'd be occasions where, especially the visitor center, because you're just kind of sitting there during dead time, dead hours, and then you can get on the internet and look up stuff, because you could look up talks and stuff. But I didn't. I wasn't exposed then. I was exposed at a different. Um, what are this called? <laughs> Semester mm-hmm. uh, transfer. transfer. <laughs> a different. Anyway, so yeah, I guess you're right. Sorry, going back. So they just shut off information that doesn't um, align with what they believe mm-hmm. to be true. But okay, anyway. Um, so another thing that I wanted to talk about is that I I think this was my first time doing this, and of course it was yours. But we went to the red brick store. So there's like six sites in Nauvoo that are owned by the Community of Christ Church, and in order to tour, like they're all locked. They don't have missionary station there. But in order to tour them, you have to go to the Red Brick store and pay $5 per person. And then you you are led. One person with a microphone leads a whole group through these sites and talks about them. 
and like it's a legit tour yeah like it's and he's really knowledgeable so the guy we got he was like he looked like he was pretty young yeah he was in college okay yeah so he, he he gave us the tour and he was like one thing that i appreciate is he was like you can record whatever you want you can take as many pictures there's never any point on this tour where you can't where you're not allowed to record these things and i was really appreciate that because over and over again the mormon missionaries the you know mainstream missionaries lds the lds um they were like do not record us don't like you can take photos but don't don't take videos like because they i guess they just didn't want to be held liable liable for the things that they Well, because they're 90 percent of what they said was just like testifying and they could say anything that they think or feel and that not is not what the church necessarily believes like they they like anyway, they're they're representatives for the church, but they're not really representatives for the church. That's an interesting. Yeah, it was really interesting to me why they wouldn't let us record Boy. stuff. But but the community of Christ totally allowed us, and and he just was like spouting off all this information, like things I didn't, I would never even imagine to ask. Like in the Joseph Smith um, homestead, he said that Joseph was running away from the loss so much that he had a secret room built under his stairs so the stairs were like on hinges and so you just lift the stairs up he'd cl- he'd crawl in and then they'd close the stairs so it looks like there was nothing there and like I- i've never heard that before like that was wild to me and like really cool and we got to walk through that home and we got to see everything in the like their original chairs that they owned there was like two little green chairs mm-hmm. at the table i don't know it was really cool and then we got to go through the nabu house or not the nabu house excuse me the mansion house we got to go through and this is where um Jane Manning James was and served there and he had a lot of or he had several wives living there um I think this would be the place where the story of Eliza R. Snow being pushed down the stairs I think it would have happened there because it was in the 1840s mm. that that they got married anyway but it was interesting to be like in this building and they showed they had a little model they had a little model of the building of what it looked like mm-hmm. um during Joseph Smith's time Anyway, so that was really fascinating to me. And the, the we did not go to the, to the Nauvoo house because it is currently acting as a hotel or a mm-hmm. B&B. So and, you can go and stay there. <laughs> yeah, and they and like that would be really cool to go and stay there. And they and Emma Emma lived the rest of her life there. She died in one of those rooms. And so they'll tell the story of this is the room that she died in and these are what was happening around when she passed away. And anyway, so that was really fascinating, but we couldn't go in that in that one, so that was kind of disappointing, but yeah. Yeah. But also the red brick store, um, they didn't. That wasn't part of the tour, but he kind of talked about it a little bit. Um, the tour started outside the red brick store, but upstairs, like the the Mormon missionaries didn't talk about the Nauvoo Expositor at all. But all throughout the Community of Christ sites, th- that was available. Like you could go upstairs and you could see it. You could purchase it downstairs in the store. Mm-hmm. I just really appreciated that because they were just being really open. Yeah, and it was really suspicious to me that everywhere else he went in the LDS um, sites, they had old-looking newspapers as well, just, like, left out places. They're advertising the Nauvoo pageant. Yeah, they're advertising the Nauvoo pageant, or they just, like, are old newspapers meant, you know, like, on display. And it felt like they were trying to, like, cause the Nauvoo expositor kind of to be hidden in plain sight. Like, oh, I've seen these newspapers everywhere, so this Nauvoo expositor is nothing special. You know, that's what it felt like to me. Um. Well, you're reminding me of a story. So when I was young, when I was a kid and I went with my family, we I remember distinctly walking across a field. And I, I don't know why, but growing up a lot, there was a lot of protesters there. Maybe it was just during the pageant season. In Nauvoo? Yeah, I didn't see any this time. I, well, we saw a couple. 
We did. Yeah. Remember, I was like, oh, should we go and talk to that guy? And you were like, oh, oh no, he was. You're right. He's he a was scary the... Christian. <laughs> he... Oh, yeah. They're... Okay. Hang on. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, but anyway, we were walking across the field to get to the um, Nauvoo pageant area. And people are handing out the, the Mormons are handing out, handing you the pageant newspapers. Like that's and like, I think I had a couple of copies. I was, I was just a teenager. Anyway, but one, an older man handed me a newspaper and I was like, oh, thank you. And I just took it. And dad said, no, throw that away. And I was like, why? What is it? And I look over and it's the Nauvoo Expositor. And he's like, no, that's, that's anti-Mormon lies. Just throw it away. And so I did. Like, <gasps> like anyways, so. You were handed a Nauvoo Expositor as a child and yeah. your father said it was anti-Mormon lies. Uh, yeah. And now we've published it into a novel. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, that protester, he was just a guy standing outside the temple and he had like a, a cardboard sign or something of scriptures. And I was like, oh, you're like, uh, you're like one of those Mormons or not Mormons, but you're one of those Christians. You're one of those scary Christians. <laughs> <laughs> you think we all going to die. <laughs> uh-huh. um, what were what were your, some of your favorite places to tour or sites? I really liked the county fair thing that happened before the pageant. They had all those like old timey games and stuff like even just the vibe of being there was just really fun they had like music going and like the maypoles are just fun and colorful and the amount of people just out there doing all these fun games and we sawed a log in half that was fun (laughs) you saw saw (laughs) you saw one inch off the end of a log oh yeah they give you this like chunk of log they're like here's your souvenir wood won't won't even start as fire i'm not i'm not sure how Um, yeah, oh, so yeah. Was, that was my favorite part because just the it was it just felt like a like a county fair the way it should be you know super fun. Um, Wait, one thing off topic kind of is or random thing. When growing up, they would always give us free things like they would give us free prairie rings, which is like a horseshoe ring just bent into a horseshoe nail bent into a ring, and they would give you that for free. And you'd go to the brick store and they'd give you a free Nauvoo brick, and then they'd give you free rope and they'd give you free bread and they'd give you all this kind of stuff or free cookies at the Scoville bakery. Mm-hmm. But this time we did, I don't know if it was just the time of year, but we didn't, the only thing we got was rope and I was kind of sad. And, and then I was like, why are they not giving us free things? Cause I like, hyped it all up for you and then nothing happened. They're like, they give us free bread. And I was like, give me that free bread. I want some bread. And they're and like, we yeah, never got not... any bread. No, I was sad. But, um, but then I noticed that there's a new or at least new to me store. And what is it called? Like the mercantile. It's right across from the temple. It's like right next to the temple almost. Anyway, but but we went into that store and they were selling bricks and they were selling the prairie rings. And I was like, oh, I think they're trying to make money out of it. And so if the missionaries are giving them out for free, then that can hurt the store. That, or I, I, I mean, don't know. that would make sense. Right. But like that made me sad, though, because like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe there's enough hype now that they can make money off of this. Well, so one funny thing that this semi on topic with the county fair thing. Um, so we did a, a little sack race. <laughs> um, so me and Julia and um, uh, our daughter went and did the sack race, and we finished it, and we're laughing. We're getting out of the sacks, and the lady, I think it was a, a, maybe a husband and wife. Would you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she they had were a running kid. it, and, and their kid. And she was like, so how do you guys, like, how are you related? And I was like, well, (laughs) like, they're mother and daughter. And she's like, yeah, I can tell. And she's just, like, looking at me, waiting for my explanation. And I was like, oh, well, we're roommates. (laughs) And she's like, you were roommates in college and you're still best friends? And I was like, 
Yeah. <laughs> well, like, we were roommates at BYUIO. Yeah, there's no lie there. It's just... Um, but, like, like, you said currently, like, we are roommates. Yeah. And she interpreted that however she wanted to understand yeah, it. Yeah, so I was like, I'm just going to let that be because I have no interest in... Trying to explain. Like, yeah. trying to... Like, I don't have to explain myself to you, and that will just ruin your day if you know that you helped a couple of lesbians and they're not hers. So... <laughs> Bye. <laughs> okay, so after, so we, I didn't go for the purpose of watching the um, pageants. I just, and I'm glad we went when we did because I think it kind of closes down. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I didn't, I didn't go for that purpose, but I was like, we might as well because it's free and we can just, we can just see because mm-hmm. you know I grew up watching them. Anyway, we went to the British pageant and halfway through we're like, this is really boring. Let's go. <laughs> like, why are we making ourselves stay like, here? <laughs> I was like, this is making me angry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so we just we just pitched it in the middle. We just left. But um, yeah. after that, when I came home, I, um, this is uh, uh, Nemo the Mormon reached out to me, and he was like, "Hey, can you look through the British pageant cast and see which one of them were, if any of them were involved in like human trafficking? Because we mm-hmm. did that episode the, with Mormon the characters, stories. Yeah, the, the characters, the characters the like the real based the on British real people. Pageant. Yeah, so I went through all, the whole list, and I almost, I think it's safe to say ninety percent of the character, if not more, of the the real because some of them are based on fictitious characters Mm -hmm. but most of them are real um people from history and i would say that it's 90 percent of them were involved in polygamy and i was like trying to go through each one and try to see how they were involved in or if they were involved in human trafficking and like i i have i'd have to dig a little bit more but it was really interesting to see like all these people and they didn't they weren't told about this they weren't expecting this and like one of the main characters lied to yes one of the characters even died on the voyage um, from England to America, to, yeah, to Nauvoo, they died, and their twelve-year-old daughter ended up, I think, as a polygamous bride eventually. Anyway, it was just there was just a lot of stories like that, and then one of the stories um, of this woman converting and she wants to get baptized, and so they baptize her in the cold lake, cold river, whatever. That didn't happen until like way, way, way later. It was like the 1900s, but they, they're like, we're going to put this in the Nauvoo pageant anyway, or the British pageant anyway, even though it was like really, really later. So I was like, what? Like, are there not enough faithful, faithful, faithful stories to put them in um, contemporary? I don't know. Contemporary news. No, too. because so many people died. Anyway, I should, sh- oh I should share that. I should share that list somewhere on my website. But anyway, yeah, that was interesting to be like, oh, all of you people had crazy lives <laughs> yeah there and it was so frustrating because like wasn't one of the characters was it heber c campbell okay so one of the reasons that the british project was making me angry is because i read analyza young's book previous to going and i know that heber c kimball who is represented as represented as this like hero in the british mission i know that he um had 43 polygamous wives and he treated them like like cattle like um he literally has a quote that says i think about as much of taking a new wife as buying a new cow like and he's like supposed to be this hero and (laughs) no yeah and so i was really frustrated just like watching this oh perfect little hero see kimbo He's such a great rescuing man hero, and like no, he's he's a he's an asshole. Also, George Q. Cannon, like Annalisa Young, refers to George Q. as I don't remember all the stories about George Q. But he um, also was not a very nice guy, and 
like I don't know. It, all of these women are just getting shuffled over to Nauvoo to get married and be polygamous wives, and they don't know about it when they leave Britain. And it's just, it's just so wrong. There's so much wrong there. Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad we ditched it halfway through and <laughs> we went to the hotel and I think we went swimming or something. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Way better use of our time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, looking at our little brochure map, and I should put this on the website or do something. I was thinking about making, like, publishing a, yeah. my own brochure of, of accurate fun. history. Anyway, there's at least 14 wives that I found that you could, like, go to a site and be like, this, this is where this wife happens or, like, the banks of the the Mississippi where Louisa Beeman was married to Joseph by the cover of night and by the cover of dresses man. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of stories like that. And then there was one, I kind of got excited because there's a whole new site. There's a whole new section, I guess, in Nauvoo, quote unquote new. um, I was like, I don't remember this at all. There's a whole bunch of temple. It's called the temple city tour. And I asked the sisters, I was like, how old is this? Cause I've never been over here. And they're like, Oh, this, this whole section opened up in 2020. And I was like, oh, for sure, I've never been here. <laughs> um, but there was there was some. It was kind of neat looking at these buildings. Like you see the person who helped jo- helped um, construct the Nauvoo Temple, mm-hmm. and they have his plan sitting out. And I think it's original flooring and things like that. It's, mm-hmm. And his that house was really wild because he was uh, showcasing showcasing like different flooring types and different um, ways to do your fireplace and different like almost like wall paper. Mm-hmm. So the house was really. Is the word eclectic? Mm-hmm. It was like, like a quilt. I don't know. It was just really oh, different. It was really, it was really unique. I think that was Weeks's home or something like that. I can't remember. Was it Weeks or Gein? Oh, I don't remember. Let I me don't see. Remember either. Anyway, there. anyway, but there there was a building that had. It was next to a grove, and I was like, oh, maybe I can make this. Lucy Walker, when she was told about polygamy, she said she went to a grove of trees, and prayed and prayed and prayed, and I'm pretty sure she said she prayed all night. And then was visited by an angel. And then the angel told her, yeah, Mary Joseph. <laughs> anyway, so that would be a fun story to be like, if I were to give my own tours in Nauvoo, I would definitely share this that one. This is a grove like unto where <laughs> Lucy Walker prayed all night to find out if she had to marry Joseph. Well, I, I did like that about Nauvoo, that they're purposely trying to grow trees to like make yeah, it feel to, like yeah. the old Nauvoo. Um, so they've got they've got several sections of that they've sectioned off so people can't go through them just where they're raising trees or saplings or whatever. And I, I really like that. Anyway. Um, I just want to point out that this um, history that they're trying to rebuild and make it match up with this time period, it was seven years of history. Like there, there was seven years <laughs> during which any of these people lived here. Yeah, they, they arrived in April of 1839 and then they left uh, between February and May of 1846. Yeah, so I don't know, just my... Like, the Native Americans were there for a lot, lot longer, <laughs> and maybe we should have just given it back to the Native Americans. That's my opinion. But anyway. <laughs> Boy, before we went or while we were there, I tried to look up where the original building was for the Nauvoo Expositor, and it and it's right behind the temple. Yeah, it's, like, not even a block away. Right, and I was like, this is really daring. Of, of course, he's in the first presidency. Like, uh, we were walking b- around the temple, and I was like, can you imagine if— Elder Iring or President Iring were to leave the church and print something that like print a paper right there in Salt Lake, right next to the Denouncing temple. Denouncing Russell M. Nelson. Yeah, I was like, this is this is the equivalent. Like it was of what so William wild. Did yeah. To to pr- to print the Nauvoo Expositor and call him out 
and then not have exposed her. Yeah. And William Law, it was interesting to see he, he lived right in front of the red brick store. There's nothing there today. There's nothing, there's nothing telling you that this is where he lived, but we know that from the records on the Joseph Smith papers. And I bought a map that's like really, really, um, illustrates really well the, who was living where. Um, anyway, so that was really neat that he lived right next to Joseph Smith's office, the Masonic Hall and where the Relief Society began. And then the, his novel expositor was printed right behind the temple. It was just crazy to me. It, it belongs to, who does it belong to right now? Um, the Knights of Columbus, I think. Is yeah. Like the group I was like teasing. It. I was like, we should buy this building and open up our own print shop, <laughs> print shop and sell our books here, our Mormon books. And, <laughs> but like. Yeah, nobody's nobody's in Nauvoo. The <laughs> one one of the sad things is that um, the I grew up going when I grew up going there was only one restaurant, and I'm pretty sure they weren't members of the church. But anyway, that's closed now. And then there's a there's a, again a one restaurant in town um, that was really good. Like we really we we admire the woman who runs it. Like that we got the the pineapple ter- ter- teriyaki pineapple hamburger every time and yeah, julia was, had to have yummy. it without a patty so she just had a, a pineapple sandwich yeah, I'm, I'm for a three days in a row. i'm a vegetarian so i don't eat it was really good though <laughs> it was tasty and they have really good ice cream anyway i'm sorry mm. that was off topic but anyway it was really interesting to see where the novel expositor was originally printed yeah it was it was a fun little downtown area but um there was a couple of bookstores um there was um it was really interesting to see the difference between LDS bookstores and um, the the red brick store. The red brick stores because the LDS bookstores had only faith promoting stuff. I tried to look up anything by like John D. Lee or Annalisa Young just to see if I could. Or find... Or even Greg Prince, who is literally a Mormon historian, yeah. like he's an active member. And they had nothing of that sort, but they had like, I don't know, um, they had the what is that, um, the Da Vinci Code. And like the the that really crazy marriage book <laughs> I should go grab that I was quoted like so there's this I just flipped open to a page just like skimmed, and I come to this page where they're talking about the honeymoon period or you know going on a honeymoon, and he's like, oh, and it's like testimonies. They're t- this testimonies of this man, and it, he says, oh, I was really stressed at first about um, giving my wife an orgasm because she wasn't having one. But after a while, I realized that, like that was just stressing me out too much, and as soon as I just quit fretting about it, everything went be- everything went fine. So I was like, <laughs> "Are you kidding me? This book is telling you just quit fretting about your wife's orgasm and go on with your life. Like, just don't even bother worrying about it. It's too hard. Okay, just give up. Just just don't even bother. Move on." I was like, "Are you freaking kidding? Me? You're not gonna even suggest like, okay, um, maybe ask her what she likes." Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, people, if you're questioning about this, read Come As You Are. It is a very good book. Emily Nagoski, it will help you a lot. <laughs> uh, but do not read this book. This book is called Between Husband and Wife, Gospel Perspectives on Marital Intimacy by Stephen E. Lamb, M.D., and Douglas E. Brinley, M.D., uh, PhD. PhD. So you might notice those are those are both men, okay, Mormon men. They don't have any idea (laughs) they don't have any they don't have a concept for women's sexuality so don't go to them for for questions about husband and wifery okay it does not it's just a bad idea it's a bad idea just don't do it anyway i was just about dying reading that book is in the lds bookstore 
but if we went to the um, the red brick store where the Church of Christ or no Community of Christ had their bookstore, we found things like John D. Lee's book, um, Mormon Enigma. Like there was a there was a whole bunch of things there, and then things written by Emma's children, like David. Yeah, there was like paintings painted by David Smith, which is Emma's Emma's son. son. Yeah, she had Alex. And I was like, Alexander, I didn't even David know. I'm like I didn't know anything about these these kids of Emma's. Like I've never heard anything about them. Well, reading back in history now, I know that Joseph Smith the third was supposed to be the next prophet, but he was too young when Joseph Smith died. So Brigham Young was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, he'll be the prophet as soon as he's old enough. But in the meantime, somebody has to guide the church. So I'll do it. And then as he started to come of age, he was like, Joseph Smith or Joseph Smith the third, um, he's not worthy of being the leader. He doesn't even believe in polygamy. And look, he's being, he's being guided by these non-members like Emma Smith. Like you can't listen to her. She's, she's wacky. Like, Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so the um, Community of Christ Church followed Joseph Smith III. And, his, like, Joseph Smith's actual family members stayed with that church, most of them. So they have a lot more history of Joseph Smith's descendants. Like, they, they know it because they're still there. Like, the, the, the granddaughters of Joseph Smith are still, like, giving talks or whatever about it. But we don't, like, the LDS church doesn't know anything about it because we separated from them. And we don't want anything to do with them because they're not Brigham. We're the Brighamite section, or what do you call that? Faction? or The, the Brighamite faction. And Wait. the Brigham, the, so the LDS church is the Brighamite faction. And they don't have anything to do with Joseph Smith III faction. Because Joseph Smith III was against polygamy. He was very much, did not believe that his father participated in it, which is not true to history but also regardless he didn't want that to be a thing so the the community of christ or the reorganized uh church of jesus christ of other saints or whatever they didn't practice polygamy so i have a lot of respect for them just for that like no we're not going to practice polygamy that's really really good and i wish the brighamite faction had not practiced polygamy but brigham was very much into polygamy anyway that's that's let me get off my soapbox (laughs) One of the things that I thought was super interesting is that when we were walking around and I was trying to figure out where Joseph's wives were living, he had three wives living on the same corner. There was Sylvia Lyon, Patty Sessions, and Miranda High living on the same corner. And Patty's is just a log cabin. And then the... Well, she probably didn't actually live in a log cabin, Oh, well, right. right. Probably not. She she delivered 4,000, how many babies? And nearly 4,000. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm assuming she was um, well compensated for her delivery of babies. And I, and, and in the depiction on my map, it's a, it's a stone building. I don't Yeah. Anyway, but, um, but we, we, we did get to go see Sylvia Lyons, um, the Lyon drugstore. We're another one of Joseph's wives. And she's, anyway, we were, when we were getting the tour, the woman said Sylvia had three children and they died while, mm-hmm. while she was in Nauvoo. And I was like, wait a minute, hang on. She had four kids and one of them was Josephine. So it's not that she was, it's not that this missionary was being dishonest, it's just, that, just that she just left out the fourth child. The fourth child. And the fourth child is the most problematic for a lot of Mormons is because the Sylvia thought that Josephine belonged to Joseph Smith, mm-hmm. which, but she wasn't DNA, or at least according to the church, DNA evidence shows that she was Windsor Lyon's daughter. Um, so that just kind of shows that she was sleeping with both of them simultaneously if she were to make that mistake. 
of mm-hmm. not knowing who's who fathered the child. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that was super interesting that Kinda they just sort of sus. left her out of there. And then one thing that I thought was really interesting. So the rumors that Joseph Smith would send men on missions to marry their wives comes from um, Orson and Miranda Hyde. And he sent Orson on a mission and then married her. And then uh, people, apologists will say, oh, no, it's fine because... He, he probably knew about it, Orson did, because whenever he got home, Joseph gave him polygamous wives. So it's like, of course he knew about it. Like, like I don't know if he did know about it or not. Like, I don't know. Uh, but what I didn't know until we were there was that Joseph sent him on a mission to Jerusalem to to give a blessing on the land. He, ble- mm-hmm. he literally blessed the land. So I'm just picturing him going all the way over there, getting up on this high place and just saying a prayer. Like, he has it all written. He wrote down the prayer. And it was behind a, I don't know if it was the original copy or, or um, I have, I took a picture of it, but he gave a blessing. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. Like, <laughs> so he like dedicated this. Yeah. Holy, he like dedicated the, the Holy Land. The Holy Land that belongs to the Israelites. Right. <clears throat> he dedicated first of all, it that's, for the Mormon church. <laughs> first of all, that feels awful. That feels icky. That's almost feels as icky as, as baptizing Holocaust victims. Like, mm-hmm. like you have no right to be doing this. But also, it's it's just silly to me that Joseph's sending him to do this, what I think is this silly blessing over something that doesn't belong to us. We have no right over it. And and then marrying his wife. While he's gone. While he's gone. Yeah, like, that was just wild to me. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, gosh. Another thing that I thought was really interesting is we went to, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a gun historian by any means, but there was the, the Browning gun shop was there. And... Um, it's really interesting information. Like this guy figured out how to make guns really well and he became famous for it and they use his style of guns in different wars and they still use one of the styles today a lot and it was all these guns were in the showcase in cases. Showcased? Anyway, but in the corner of the building or in the corner of the room there was a giant machine gun. Like really old style. Yeah, machine like gun. I was like, Oh my goodness, like the Mormons had a machine gun. Like, I don't know, it was just a weird it really, it felt really like anachronistic. Oh, yeah. it, it felt very anachronistic to have this machine gun in a Mormon home in the 1840s. Yeah, it really did. But I asked them specifically. I was like, "Oh, was this did, did was this invented, or did he make this during his time here?" And they're like, "Yeah." That's anyway, super it was weird. weird to me. But they had an entire Mormon battalion. Like jo- Joseph Smith was uh, the leader of the Mormon battalion. Or the Nauvoo Legion? The Nauvoo Legion has, they have their artillery building. Mm -hmm. Like on my map that I bought, it has the, it it labels out the artillery building. And that's not something that you think of when you think of, oh, old Nauvoo, where they were all happily just like chilling, doing their own thing. They They had their own army. And Joseph Smith was the leader of the army and of the entire town. He was the mayor of the town. And he was the religious prophet for all these people. He had so much power. In fact, he had so much power that the state couldn't even arrest him because he, the way he wrote the, the, the bylaws <laughs> for the city of Nauvoo made it so that he could get himself out of anything. Yeah. So it wasn't until, like, while he was in Nauvoo, he was practically untouchable. Yeah. Um, there's a part where we were, we went, I guess it was by the gun shop, but there was a, there was several missionaries putting on a show and we sat down and were listening and they talked about the Whistling and Whittling Brigade. And yeah, like, I mentioned that too when I was reading 
what was I reading? John D. Lee's book. Probably. And I was like, this sounds so creepy. And you're like, oh, yeah, they show that at Nauvoo. It looked like it really seems harmless and cute. And I was like, this sounds terrifying. <laughs> Wait, so hang on. The way that they presented it, and I can say that because we were just there two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. The way that I grew up hearing about it is that, first of all, they say that these are deacons. Because they are. But deacons back then, so the the... The hierarchy back then in the church was so different. Like a stake president was higher than a, than one of the Quorum of the Twelve. The Quorum of the Twelve were just missionaries, like, period. Like, if you read D. Michael Quinn's Origins of Power and, and the Hierarchy, whatever, the, those types of books, you'll, you'll figure all this out. He teaches you all this. But anyway, these deacons were older men. Anyway, so hang on. The story goes that these deacons were walking around and they were whistling and they'd, they'd whittle on just random pieces of wood. And if but they with, saw a suspicious character. Bowie knives that are like a yeah. 12 inches long. <laughs> but they'd say if there was a suspicious character that came off on the, the off of the ferry, they would follow them around whistling and whittling and, until they intimidated the person so much that they would leave town. And when they're presenting this, they make it look like, oh, uh, this guy looks kind of suspicious because he looks really scraggly and he's got a floppy hat and he looks like a suspicious character. How are you deciding who's suspicious and who's not? Are you just being racist? Are you being like, are you from Missouri? Then get out of here. Or like, like how are, how are you deciding? Because the Mormons all looked exactly like all the rest of the rest, like... Uh, typical. And yeah, they all look like that. So who are they deciding is suspicious? Is it just like anybody who is a new person in town? Yeah, they didn't uh, Who talk isn't about a them. woman? But yeah, in reality, this was a very, very intimidating thing. And they would they would run them out of town. Like, literally with these huge knives. Mm-hmm. And these are grown men that are just, like... Um, Following you around. John John Larson talked about it more in one of the episodes. I think it was the one on the handcart. Because I remember just recently mm-hmm. listening to that one. He talks about that. How it was really, like, kind of horrifying to have these. And I think that they were either, if not a precursor, then part of the Danite group that Joseph mm-hmm. created. That were that was like the Nauvoo Legion. Just Joseph just had a lot of power. He just had a lot of people in his pocket that were willing to. Yeah, and if you guys don't know what the Danites are, that is a lot of interesting reading. We should do we should do an episode on the Danites. Uh, one of my one of the stories that I really like is uh, Vincent Knight. He and his his wife they had a kid named Elmira, and Elmira ran off with the tinsmith guy. Because he mm. thought Stoddard. Stoddard, yeah. He was like more he's like polygamy is hogwash, it's of the devil. And she was like, Whoa, what? Like like polygamy's a thing? And he's like, Yeah, like anyway. But then the mom approaches her daughter and she's like, Hey, Hiram wants to marry you. And she's like, Heck no. Like she's already been prepped <laughs> to say no to this or warned about it. And so she says no, and then she marries Stoddard, who's who's older than her. She was she was way too young to be getting married. She was a like sixteen or something. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they left, they ran off and left the saints. And sadly, they didn't, she didn't get to reunite with her family until they were long in Utah and they were much older. But at least she got to see her before um, Martha. And at least she didn't have to be a polygamous wife for the rest of her life. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Anyway, I like that story. (laughs) Sorry. One thing that I thought was interesting, we went to the, the Pendleton home and they're not, they're not related to Lucinda Pendleton, which was Joseph's second polygamous wife but but that it was a little schoolhouse and you walked in and it was just showing you kind of school life and and they gave you a little they gave us little slates and chalk and and they're like oh things are written phonetically and for some reason that's like I was like oh like this is weird but like every um you know Hebrew C and Valate Kimball mm-hmm. everyone calls her Valate that I've seen in, mm-hmm. in Mormonism but like in the Nauvoo really study minute book they spell it out violet Mm-hmm. And like, cause they just spell it how it sounds. And also it makes me feel like the, the story of Joseph misspelling that guy's name and him getting all up and. 
the thing is, he the, the that's what they taught us in Nauvoo at this little schoolhouse is they had their own way of spelling things, probably because they were all uneducated. But they did they just spelled things how they sounded rather than what like or how uh, they said them. I love yeah. the, the historian Dirk Matt. Yeah, how he said that Joseph would spell things how he said them, and he had an accent. So he'd spell things like church. He would spell it C-H-I-R. Like, it was chitch. And and he didn't put the R in, in partridge so because he pronounced it patridge. Patridge. <laughs> anyway, sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> well, um, yeah, basically that was my point. It was like, they, so they had us at, at this little schoolhouse. They are like, hey, how would you spell it if you were just spelling it phonetically? And so, like, America. So I put, like... U H M E R R I K U H or something, and <laughs> so. But anyway, so for Vi Vi Kimball, while we were reading the Relief Society book, it's spelled V I O L A T E or something like that. Um, so we we realized we're like they're pronouncing it violet, violet, violet. They're pronouncing it violet, and so we we're convinced that her name is not Valate, that it's violet. Yeah, so I think I'll say Violet from now on. Yeah, I, and I thought that it makes more sense. Well, the reason I was Who saying I started saying Valate is because that's what I'm pretty sure everyone that I've heard speak on this subject, member or not member, um, says it Valate. Like, that, I, like I think has, even Lindsay Hanson Park. It doesn't make any sense. Right. It Violet it makes make. way more sense. Right. But also, hang on, you're telling the story. You're, we're talking about the school, and there's a story that I uh, I read while we were there. It was, it's from Todd Compton's book. It was one of the wives that I was studying. Oh, yeah. So I was reading the stories. This is the same family who the woman married the Stoddard man. The, this is Martha and Vincent Knight. Okay, so Adeline, I think, is one of the children. She is, so this is Todd Compton. Adeline Knight remembers an incident that shows how close her family was to Joseph Smith. On January 9th of 1841, the children were at school where the door opened and Hiram Smith and Vincent carried in the, quote, limp form of Joseph Smith. The children all sprang to their feet. Brother Joseph lay helpless in their arms, his head resting on his brother's shoulder, his face pale as death, but his eyes were wide open, though he seemed not to see things earthly. The unnamed teacher, who evidently had seen Smith in this state before, explained to his pupils that the prophet was in a revelation. Vincent and Hiram carried Joseph to his office above the school, where he dictated Doctrine and Covenants 124. <laughs> so, and then the 124 is, it's still canonized in scripture, but he goes into meticulous detail of the Nauvoo house and how people should put stock into it. And he says, <laughs> so you have Vincent and Hiram carrying this, this limp Joseph who's, who, I don't know, can you just imagine like him like having his eyes kind of roll back and he's like totally not wa using his legs. And so they're just sort of dragging him in. Anyway, so he gets upstairs and he's like, Vincent, you have to put stock in the Nauvoo house. And he like tells 13 men to put stock in this house. And he gives very specific amounts. He's like, you can't give under $50, and you can't give more than $15,000. Like, anyway, so he's giving a very, like, you can't be under, you can't be over this. And then Joseph says, let my servant Joseph and his seed after him have place in that house from generation to generation, forever and ever. So he's like, you guys have to put all your money into this building. Like, they're, he's literally not giving them a choice. Like, God is telling you. Anyway, uh, that just story was just seems so silly to me. And, like, I laughed a lot when I was telling it in Abu. It just it's just sounds so ridiculous to me. Like Joseph's giving. Oh wait, wait, wait! I'm having revelations, Juliet. Juliet, you need to put between fifty and fifteen thousand dollars 
towards uh, the a house the video. house. Uh, if you don't, you'll be down forever. Yeah, Ugh. he says that. Though you'll be I'm shut okay. out of heaven. Anyway, like, why is this in our scriptures? Also, like, hang on. I'm I'm kind of frustrated because like, <laughs> according wherever Joseph wants to, God gives him revelations that are so detailed. Like, do it just like this. Like, build the temple just like this. Build another house just like this and give all this money. And But, like, he doesn't know how to live polygamy. Because people say, almost all the apologists that I've heard, they say, well, God didn't give him an instruction book. He doesn't know who to, who he should be marrying. He doesn't know he shouldn't marry already married women or women who are already pregnant or, like, they just or say he wasn't. Year olds. Or 14-year-olds. Like, he wasn't given instructions. Oh, he wasn't. But God's going to, so God's going to ha- give him so much instructions in, in building a hotel but not in, not in polygamy. Like that, it, that determines the salvation and yeah, the rest of the lives exactly. for, for hundreds, thousands of women for yes. years to come. But God doesn't have anything to say about it. Yeah. Wow. What a God. <sighs> anyway, this is very disturbing. Okay. So we, we also went, uh, we can always come back and talk about different sites, but we also went to the Carthage jail and it was, so it was Sunday morning and, they opened at noon, so we had to, like, really... Anyway, there was a lot of people there that morning, and they they rushed us through really fast. And, like, they... I've been there a lot of times, um, but they they brought us from room to room, and the whole building... They had tours in front of us and behind us, and, and they brought us to the room where they have the cell, and it's, like, really dark, and they... I don't... Does she have any kind of spiritual moment there, or... Um... I can't remember. They talked about how they had to, um, Willard Richards dragged John Taylor's body in there and put him under the mattress. Mm-hmm. And she turned out the lights, like so it was really, really dark. Yeah, and then they brought us into the main bedroom where they were killed. And then they sat there, even though, like, we're, I don't know. There's, like, a limited amount of time and, like, a lot of things you could be telling us about this story. But this is what they actually did. They bore their testimonies and played the song... A poor way, fang- a poor way, very man. Yeah. They sat there, which is a and- long song anyway. But mm-hmm. they played several verses, so we're just sitting there in silence, listening to these songs. When so they're making a spiritual moment in this, like, I don't know. It was frustrating to me because I like, I why didn't you tell us more about what actually happened? Like, yeah, they they didn't say anything about how Joseph went to the window and how he put his hands up and said, "What did he say? Yeah. Um, um, is, is there, there no, no hope, hope for the widow's son or help for the widow's son or something like that?" And they didn't say anything about that. They they gave, like, a very brief, like, okay, um, uh, Hiram was here, and he got shot. And then he said... Um, John Taylor uh, got shot four yeah. times, was under the bed. Uh-huh. And then Joseph w- went to the window and was shot. And yeah. then he fell down below, and they finished murdering him or something. Uh, we, were, we were happy that they um, didn't tell... A, a fake story about John yeah, Taylor. Yeah, so, like, I grew up hearing, going there and hearing the story, and it's... Which, a, I believe that he said it, like, I believe Oh, John oh yeah, Taylor's it's, it's in the church history it. book. Yeah, you're right. It, this is, he, John Taylor says that he was standing by the window, and then a gun hit his pocket watch and pushed him back into the room, and then he fell on the floor, and then he rolled under the bed. But in reality, the church has this watch, and, and Hiram Smith also had a watch in his pocket that was shot that was obliterated. But John Taylor's watch is in almost perfect condition. It just has a little poke in it. Anyway, so the so the 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 missionary told us the story correctly. They said he land he said he had the pocket watch in his pocket. He land he hit the windowsill and it broke the glass front and the glass poked through and caused this hole to happen. And then he rolled under the bed. 
Anyway, so I w- appreciated that he went out of his way to tell us this accurate story because we've been hearing the wrong story forever. And even where, mm-hmm. even in the church history site now where they had this watch, they, they, they corrected the story. They're like, yeah, that was a lie, John. Or they don't say it like that, but like what John Taylor said, he might have thought that that was what happened, but that's not actually what happened. Anyway, that was, that was nice to hear. But yeah, they could have told us a number of things. Like they could have said, like, I guess I'm comparing everyone to that guy, that tour guide from the mm-hmm. Community of Christ. Like, he just was standing there spouting all this information. And one thing that I appreciated is that they had these little, he had a little microphone with a battery on his belt. Or, or mm-hmm. no, no, he hung it around his neck. And it just, everyone could hear so well. But, like, I, I wish that the missionaries had something like that, <laughs> the mm-hmm. Mormon missionaries. Because yeah, it was hard to hear because some of them talked really quietly. But anyway, yeah, that was an interesting experience going to the Carthage jail. Mm-hmm. But that reminded me of, oh, dang, I just went left my head. What was I going to say? It was a spiritual moment. Was it the post, yes, post, the post office? We went to the post office. And as a kid, this was my favorite place because who doesn't love the old paper? Is cool. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. I wrote, I wrote letters all the time as a kid. I Like as we moved around a lot because my parents struggled in their their marriage. And uh, so I would write to all my friends. And anyway, so that was just the coolest building to me. And it's, a, it's an original post box from, I, I think it might be original to Nauvoo. If not just the time. Anyway, but the, the sister, there was two senior sisters there. And one of them was like bearing her testimony about letter writing and how like challenging us to like think of someone in our lives that we can write letters to and, and write to them. And, and about, uh, about Nauvoo and bear your testimony. And or I was something. like, okay. I was like, what? Like, can you just let us enjoy the history of this room and not make this yeah. churchy? <laughs> Like, you, like of all things to bear your testimony about, like letter writing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, that was kind of a stretch. But. Yeah. Oh, another thing that I was really fascinated about. I'm an English major, and I didn't, I feel foolish not having known these things before. But we went to the printing complex, and we, we learned, I, I feel like it wasn't just me. I feel like you learned oh, things, I too. Oh, I loved that. I forgot about that. Yeah, let me, let me pull up my list. But we learned a lot of phrases that we say all the time, that we say them because of the printing because of how they printed things. Yeah. So, you know, they had to stack each letter individually in each column. And then when they got a whole page all put together, then they'd, you know, put that whole whole plate full of letters. You know, they'd roll ink over it and then they put the paper over it, smash it down, and then you got one page. So it was a long, tedious job. But, okay, so... Um, so the, the lowercase and uppercase, they, they had to put these different letters literally in cases. And so they had one that was up top, like almost like a, a top shelf and then a lower shelf. So she said, that's why they're called uppercase and lowercase. And I was like, oh my goodness, how did I not know this? the uppercase letters go in the upper right, case the upper and case. the lower one. <laughs> um, and then to coin a phrase. So if they were going to make a phrase, um, they'd put all the letters in there and then there was like a little push bar thing that was called a coin q u o i n and you would push it up there and it would get it all uh, all set together and that was called coining a phrase didn't it make it kind of permanent like yeah. you could use it over and over again yeah it like stuck it together i don't i don't remember exactly but yeah it yeah, stuck it, it together it was so really it was fun a phrase and then oh i can't um, remember all of these the cut to the chase one so to do um like do like a big headline um, instead of like writing a whole page, it, the chase was just one section of the newspaper. So instead of doing the whole newspaper, the chase was one section. So you would just just make the, the headline fit that section. So you would cut it to the chase. So cut to the chase. 
I don't know. It was like a lot of stretch. It, it was really interesting when you explained it. Um, stereotypes. Stereo means to to stay stay still, right? So um, if oh. you made a a type, like a phrase that you were going to be using over and oh, over again. Oh, that's what it was. Not coined a phrase. It was yeah. the stereotype. Yeah. So stereotypes would stay the same. So if you were like going to use the word, I don't know, um, mayor over oh. and over again, you could make a the type set out for mayor and then you would put little brackets around it or I don't remember exactly. It was probably bigger phrases than and just it was, a single word, but yeah. But yeah, that was called a stereotype. So it didn't change. Um, and then proofread, um, you had to put the lines in and then um, you'd, you know, run the, run the paper over it and flip it over so you could read it and proof it and make sure that it all made sense because you're putting it all in backwards. So you would proof it. Doing a proof is means to, like, have it printed and, and then read it and make sure it all makes sense. So that's proofread. So you're reading the proof. Yeah. The P-R-O. Oh, the P-R-O-O-F. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, mind your P's and Q's because they had to stick them back in the right spot. Mm-hmm. And, and you they could easily get, very, yeah. Very similar. Basically the same little thing. But then dingbat. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that's funny. So a dingbat is like a little decorative line that just takes up space. It's, so she's just like, so this here is, this is a little pretty, pretty little thing that takes up space. And that's a dingbat. <laughs> it, was, it was really funny. <laughs> Uh, oh, do you remember what lock, stock, and barrel was? In the Browning God shop, they had a phrase that was lock, stock, and barrel, which is, it just means, like, all or everything. And, like, that comes from, that that comes from, like, a person like Browning who can make those, he, he can make all those things himself. He doesn't need another person because he doesn't have that trade. He, he just knew how to do guns completely. So I thought that was an interesting thing, like, that, that came because of that. Yeah. Um, I think that was everything that we talked about. But, yeah, there, yeah, that was a really fun... And I appreciate there. I don't think they bore their testimony at all for the uh, printing complex. <laughs> yeah. Because they had too many fun things to share. Yeah. And then we got to, like, um, run the printer printing thing. Or oh, you, yeah. Like, you, have press to turn, it down. you have to turn this crank to have it pressed down. And she's like, okay, we got a tour coming behind you. Hurry up. What were your thoughts? Because you just, you read Annalisa Webb Young's book before we went. Mm-hmm. And then I think you were pretty fascinated by Chauncey Webb's blacksmith shop. Am I Yeah. So one of the correct? things that stuck out to me, is, sadly, was that they were right across the street from Brigham Young's house. So, like, there's a lot of interesting things we learned in the blacksmith shop, like how he created the, the, the metal parts and, like, oh, the pioneer, like, the pioneers had to cut the wood pieces themselves because they could do that part and then he would do all the complicated parts and yada yada and like how to make a wheel um and how you had to have this steel outer part to hold the wheel together but they didn't necessarily do that for the hand carts they used leather because they were cheap anyway so one of the things that stuck out to me was that they were across the street from Brigham Young and the reason this sticks out to me is because Annalisa Young I think she was born in Nauvoo, She was born in Nauvoo, yes. So she was born in Nauvoo. So during those seven years, I don't know exactly what year she was born. I think it was after Joseph died. Was it? I can't remember. Let me look it up. Yeah, it was like shortly after Joseph died. So like 45, I don't know. Anyway, she was born there while they lived across the street from Brigham Young. So her parents were really good friends with Brigham Young. He was over at their house all the time. He held her as an infant. And then... Oh, 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 she she was was born born in September. So just... Like a, like three months. Wait, like um, three months after. Yeah, Joseph died. Very close. Yeah. So he held her as an infant, and then he married her. 
Like that's super disturbing. Do to we me. know? How, do you know how old she was? She was like twenty one. Oh yeah, or this, it was her second marriage. Yeah, correct? she was married to a, an abusive man first, and then Brigham. She actually went. Her and her parents went to Brigham Young and asked for his help in getting her divorced. And he was like, "Oh, you need to get divorced legally so that the state of Utah will recognize your divorce," which is important later because she then. Um, later divorced Brigham Young and he claimed that she was still married to her first husband but he wasn't but she wasn't because of his advice anyway so that's really disturbing to me that he like like she says that um she was one of his favorite like he was her favorite or she was his favorite child because he liked to hold her she was so fun and then yeah and then like 20 years later he's like you're gonna be my wife now and she basically had no that sounds option so I don't, maybe I'm projecting here because I really don't know. I haven't finished reading her book yet, but I don't have the opinion that Joseph Smith was a pedophile. I don't think that's, um, I don't think we have enough evidence for that, of, of the diagnosis of a pedophile. Well, I wouldn't say that he was, that Brigham Young acted as a pedophile just in this situation really either. I mean, she was older. She was in her yeah, 20s. She was in her, uh, but he didn't, she said he didn't pay attention to her until she filled okay. out and then all of a sudden okay, he didn't so, pay attention. Okay. And at he least he's got that. Yeah. And he was mad that other people were um, hitting on her. Yeah, like, and he was mad that she like married this other guy. But, but then after she was divorced, he was like, "Hey, you're gonna be my wife." And she's like, "You're you're like my father. Why would I? That's ridiculous." And she was like mad, but he like pushed and pushed and pushed, and then like he held her brother's life in his hands basically because um, the brother had been working for him and. He wouldn't pay no. the brother. I don't know. It was, like, real complex. Anyway, so in order... She knew that her, her family's life would be ruined if she didn't do it, so she she did it. Um, and then her life just... I don't know. He, w- he, he didn't take care of any of his wives, let alone Analyza. So... Also, it's interesting that she thought she was wife number 19, mm-hmm. when in reality she was wife, I think, 53. Yeah. She was one of the, the last wives he took. Yeah. But she just didn't know. Like, how was she to know? He just took, he took wives like he did business deals. Like, oh, this is convenient for me. And then he just, he like, sweep them off their feet and woo them and then dump them somewhere to... Would you say love bombing is what he did with oh, her? Yeah. Or? Oh, yeah, probably. Um, he paid her a lot of attention. She didn't want it, but, because um, she was young. She was beautiful. She, she could have any yeah. young man, and she didn't want to be married again. She told Brigham Young, I do not want to be married again. And he's like, oh... That's, that's very funny that you said that. Um, that's a, pretty much what Joseph said to uh-huh. Brigham Young's sister, Fanny. Fanny was like, I don't want to be married. I, I do not. Like, I'll be a ministering angel in heaven. And Joseph said, that's really funny. Brigham, marry me to this woman. He's mm-hmm. like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Yeah. Which is super, oh, so misogynistic. Like, oh, you sweet young woman. You have no idea what you're talking about. You will now bend to my will. Ew. And like, they have the power to do that. Yeah. It's sickening. Makes me angry. <laughs> well, so I thought, so we were there. So I loved the blacksmith's store, excuse me, shop. shop. Um, we can't go to the Chauncey Webb's home because I think missionaries live there. Like, it's there. It's right next to his mm-hmm. shop. But anyway, the, the missionaries don't really talk about hi- him at all after leaving Nauvoo. But, like, you know, reading Analyze Webb's, I just skipped to those chapters because I'm just, like, my brain really wants to know about the, the handcart schemes. Mm-hmm. And um, he helped... Brigham, so he was on a mission, and Brigham's like, he sent him home. He was like, go home. We need you to make these handcarts for the saints. And this is Chauncey Webb and Eliza's father. Right. And he's the one that has the blacksmith shop, which they give you little, they, they did give us a little horseshoe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really fun. 
but um, they don't say that he, in her book, she talks about how he struggled all throughout his whole time in the church. He was like, mm-hmm. if it wasn't for my mom, he would have left the church. He, he, no, no. She says, if it wasn't for the mom, he would never have joined. And after the Kirtland Bank failed, he would have left had his mom, had his wife not pushed. I mean, his wife, I, I'm saying the wrong thing, um, Analyze's mother. But he's, every step of the way, he's like, I want to leave this church. I want to leave this church. I don't think these well, are real prophets. Well, he kept getting used by Brigham, like hardcore. He'd like, Brigham would be like, hey, I need you to go and do this thing for the church. And he'd be like, are you going to pay me? And Brigham's like, oh, absolutely, I will pay you. The church will pay you. It's all it's all good and fine. And come back after doing these things for Brigham. And then Brigham would be like, there's no money for you. Sorry. Bye. Like over and over and over again. And Brigham did this to, to everyone. Uh, but Chauncey Webb got a lot of the negative backlash of it because he he was the one who built the the wagons and not all of the wagons but most of the hand carts well also they they, yeah they point out in Nauvoo sorry they point out in Nauvoo that a lot of the members had to do uh, they had to build the wagons as much as they could by themselves and then they'd bring it to Chauncey and he'd finish it or do the hard parts because that was his trade Mm -hmm. anyway so so it's sort of like they're sort of breaking up the the well, because there were so many people trying to go all at the and, same time. Yes. And it takes like two weeks to build a wagon and they were all trying to go at the same time. So any help he could get was good. But anyway, they he ended up being in the middle of the fiasco of them trying to cheap out on the hand carts. And he kept telling them, we know we need to use steel, not leather. And they're like, nope, you got to build it cheap. So you got to use leather. And they just wouldn't give him any money for any of these things. And, like, he just, Analyza has some really terrible stories to tell about how these people were treated as they came all the way from Britain. And then, so they're already sick and tired and barely alive and then expected to walk across the plains, pulling all their stuff. 80, what was it, 85% of them were women? Oh, yeah. Well, but hang on. You're not telling. Sorry, this is not the topic of the conversation today, but the handcart schemes is so fascinating to me. So they, there's a spot. I can't remember what the site is anymore. So the Saints were expected to go. I think it was close to winter quarters. Anyway, they, they went to the spot and they were expected then to get handcarts and then go across the plains. And so when they got to the spot, I think it was supposed to be John Taylor or somebody. She talks about it in the book. Somebody was supposed to meet them there and is give them. like an apostle? Yeah. Oh, I can't remember who it was. You're right. It was somebody whose name I don't really know. I can't remember. Anyway, but they when the saints got there, they had nothing. They they, I think she said they had to sleep under the stars. Mm-hmm. Like they had nothing. They, they had no shelter or anything. So people got sick. And I think people either turned around and left or died. Like a lot of people died even before the trek began. Mm-hmm. So that was really frustrating. And then. Because they were there for like a month waiting for this apostle to show up and help them. And like tell them what to, what to do. Because they were promised like, oh, just get to America. And then we will get you from there to not to, to Salt Lake. But even and, when the apostle did come, he didn't do anything. He just mm-hmm. left them alone. He was like, oh, you know, they can just sleep outside or they can for themselves. Oh, also that they didn't take care of these poor people. Yeah. It's so frustrating. Also, there's a an, another place she's talking about how her dad was sent home from his mission to go do these handcarts, and Chauncey's like, "This is too late in the season. Like, we can't get them going now, or else they'll hit winter. This is not okay." And then he couldn't get started until an, a certain apostle came, and I don't know why. Because I don't know that they funded anything. I, I don't I don't know why, but they had to wait for this apostle. It was all a power, power. And the, the apostle didn't like. show up. He took a sweet time and spent a month doing whatever he wanted to do. And then he finally showed up and, and Anna, Analyza was pissed. Or she sounded pissed because she's like, 
he obviously didn't care about any of the lives of these these brand new converts. He just mm-hmm. did not care. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Brigham didn't care. And she pointed out, she's like, it would have cost Brigham $50 per person per person to just get them across safely and, like, without any... In wagons. In wagons with oxen. Like, it was a hard journey, but it wasn't But she perilous. said it wasn't perilous. Yeah, it was, it was hard, but yeah, but, like... But so many people died. And the, on the numbers... On the, on the, on the hand, on the hand carts. Is one in six. One in six people and, died and pulling John, a hand cart. If you, don't, if you haven't watched John Larson's episode on Mormon stories, it's you need to watch it. It's excellent. But he talks about how the church... The numbers that we do have... Because if you go to Wikipedia, they will list out how many... Um, are they called fatalities? Hmm. Um, how many people died. And I think that those numbers are totally inaccurate. And he says that the church never kept a record. And you can see these journals. People dying... People died before they even, people died on the ship over. People died on the site before they left. People died on like the, on on the, the trail. Way, mm-hmm. Like, and they just left them there because they were starving and their oh, bodies and the were people, giving Oh, and the way. people were so bad. The, the team, what do you call them? Team drivers or team mm-hmm. captains, however you call them. But he said, he tells a story, just go watch this episode. But he tells the story of how this old man he tells a story of how this old man just couldn't walk anymore. He was so tired. And he just put his arm out, put his hand out to steady himself on the on the uh, wagon. Because they have wagons. They have at least one or two wagons per handcart company to, that, hold, that held all the food. Because they had to mm-hmm. ration out their food. And they, they gave him enough for breakfast was the only thing they got a day. For anyway, the whole day. For the whole day. Anyway, this this old man put his hand on the on the cart cart to, to just help himself walk because he was so tired he had rheumatoid arthritis oh yeah and then the guy the team driver whipped him he he told him to stop and they beat him and then he died mm-hmm. like the next day yeah he walked until they stopped and then they made camp and he never walked again yeah like he died the, this is and brigham claimed that this was god's plan that, that god's plan was to to have them travel with these super cheap handcarts and these men that were ruthless anyway sorry this is not the topic we were talking about but anyways it was really interesting to see chauncey webb's home and to know the the history behind all that yeah <laughs> do we have anything lighter to end on <laughs> yeah that's that was really heavy <laughs> one of the new sites is the temple city site and they had these giant um, limestone these white limestone blocks or whatever and they let you cut them because it's really limestone's really soft, and so they just hand you a saw. I mean, they put gloves on you and, and eye protection, and you can cut it. That was really cool to me because it, it's just really easy to cut. It's like mm-hmm. surprising. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is really easy, and our kid did it, and she was. I don't know. That was really fun to. <laughs> it was just a fun experience. How did you feel about the wagon ride? At the beginning, <laughs> yeah. So we went on. That was probably the first thing we did because the wagons were running early, and we got a spot mm-hmm. in in waiting or what is that called standby mm-hmm. um but they they took us in a weird they didn't take us through Nauvoo it was one that went through almost the like the horse pastures and stuff and they told a lot of stories and they talked about one man's mission I can't remember who it was but he baptized several prophets after him like Brigham or I can't remember who it was but he but he like went and then baptized a bunch of people and the guy's like so what do you think do you think his mission was successful oh he he baptized brigham young's sister who brought and then brigham young brought a bunch of people with him right like i was like yeah you no 
wait, how are we counting success here? <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> how many people died because he baptized this girl? <laughs> or, or went into miserable polygamy. Yeah. Like, Annalisa points out that the Mormon women back then were known, were, it was the stereotype to, that, that Mormons were. The Mormon the, women were ugly. Yeah, and like, never happy like and never happy yeah like they, they were bedraggled yeah miserable. yeah um and that's just because that's what most of them who were living in polygamy looked like like they're pretty enough as young people what she said like pretty enough children pretty enough young ladies but after they entered in polygamy they just were downtrodden yeah anyway there's a lot of like we just kept whispering to each other during that tour <laughs> And uh, we're like, ah, that's crazy. And like, that's actually not what happened. Or like, he, they're not, they're leaving out the story of polygamy or I can't remember. There was a bunch yeah. of times where we did that. It was really interesting. So we brought um, our daughter with us who's just turned seven. And so we'd go through these tours and we'd be quiet and we'd listen. And and then as soon as we left, we'd be like, so that is not what happened. Um, this is what actually happened. <laughs> like, they're kind of half telling you the truth here, but they're just leaving is, out a bunch They're of leaving stuff. out this part and like... This horrible part, and, and then we'd be like, "So this lady, she had to do this and this and this," and, and so we're like, "So I'm, what I'm hoping is that what she learned from this adventure is that um, everything has there's always more to the story. There's always more to the story, and you should do critical thinking about everything that you come across because, no, like, especially if they have um, an agenda, like for you to join their church, they're not going to tell you the the dirty undersides. You know, the, they're not going to show you the underbelly." of 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 their religion so yeah read more <laughs> yeah well we could probably stop there there's i feel like there's still so much we could talk about like going through part of me is like let me let's go through every single building that there is and talk about who was there but anyway um it would be super fun i i was daydreaming a lot like what if i gave tours or like somebody gave tours of like act act accurate church history but i'm pretty sure the most of the lands owned by the church and maybe run out, run off. But what if you did like a, like a walk along tour and then like you'd have to okay, stand on the Chauncey road because the roads are house. government owned. Yeah, yeah. Like, like it's a like they could do the tour and then come on and be like, hey, so this is what actually happened. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> take anyway. you twice as long to get through Nauvoo. <laughs> yeah, I started making a. So we have our publish, publishing company and we've published the Nauvoo Expositor, which you can buy. You can go on Amazon and you can buy uh, um, William Smith's. On Mormonism, although that one's not very popular because people don't know why they should buy it. It's just a <laughs> tiny little. I'm fascinated by it because it it kind of puts off the first vision, or makes it. it yeah, it gives another version of the first vision. We're also working on republishing Analyza Young's book. Um, yeah, Wife we got number nineteen. We got our working copy. The cover is a little dull, so we have to enhance the color of that. But other than wise, it's pretty yeah. close to being and done. Then, and then next is John D. Lee's Mormonism Unveiled, which is, so John D. Lee was involved in the Mountain Meadows Massacre, and he was put to death for that, and it's his expose on that. So those are our next two books, and they're big, which is why they're taking so long. But they're so good. They're like, so Annalisa is such a good writer. I haven't oh, read John D. Lee's She is yet. so snarky, too. She's like, so I just funny. have to stop and laugh sometimes. And I was like, <laughs> wow. I was like, wow, she's cheeky. <laughs> she's <a> cheeky. <laughs> but yeah, so, so uh, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. I started writing... Um, uh, my own little pamphlet, uh, something that maybe I can publish for free and or put it on the website of touring Nauvoo through. I don't. I don't know if I want to say ex Mormon lens, but like accurate accurate church history lens. Like church history lens. Yeah. Anyway, so that's fascinating to me. And um, 
like yeah anyway another thing that popped into my head just now is the, the Kimball home the Heber C. Kimball home is beautiful it's probably one of the prettiest houses there but that was because it was updated in the 1970s is that but I thought they only updated that second half no he updated all of it he just built the second half oh the okay, that's, so that's why it's so pretty. Updated in the seventies, um, the one of the children of is like a grandchild oh, that's right. of him um, updated it, and then he like brought in Spencer W. Kimball. I don't remember. I don't know. It was one of the authorities, and was like, "Look at this. This was our ancestors' home." And then that's why they started uh, putting money into buying up and rebuilding. Nauvoo. Oh, that's so. right. That person spurred mm-hmm. that the whole Nauvoo. Mm-hmm. That's right. I forgot about that. But anyway, they did point out that that uh, this that building wasn't finished till later, and so picturing Helen Marr and Joseph's relationship with her, that would not have been in that home. It would have been in a cabin that was on that land while this one was being built. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. But also, the, sorry, this is off topic. Anyway, one thing that I thought was really weird is that it seemed to be pretty common in Nauvoo to <laughs> for the people who bought these homes afterwards to just be like oh we don't want this top floor so let's just remove it so they were in the habit of removing whole floors didn't that happen several times why would you do that i don't understand yeah oh and another thing i wanted to point out is that so we were also looking for john c bennett is the one who was you know he was a physician and he i made a video recently of uh, the Nauvoo abortions, talking about that. And when we were there, we're like, where would he have had, where would he have done this? Because one, Sarah Pratt points out that he was, he, there was a building across the flat where he would, it was kind of away from town where he would perform these um, surgeries or abortions. Mm-hmm. And we were like looking, we're like, where would this be? Like, there's nothing on the map that, that indicates that. But then in the 70s hall, that's kind of along, it's almost, it's pretty close to the river. It's one of the, one of the outer buildings. Mm-hmm. They, when we were there, the missionaries referenced, oh, in one of these rooms they had, uh, it was, the, it acted it like was, sort of a hospital. Yeah, they used it as a hospital. But no mention of John C. Bennett, no mention of anything like that. So, so, so it, we don't know, but maybe. Right. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. Also, the, did you, did you already mention the Masonic Hall? Oh, kind of, but what were you going to say about it? Oh, that like they just took off the whole top floor. And oh yeah, to that's the one. It. Yeah, they <laughs> took it off. Like that's really weird. Why do people do that? Oh, and they do not call it Masonic Hall anymore. It's called the Cultural Hall. The Cultural Hall, which it definitely was not called that at the time, but they call it that now because they don't want to be connected to the Masons, because everybody knows the Temple <laughs> handshakes are are actually Masonic handshakes. So anyway, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Oh, they... another thing that's really interesting that I learned from somebody else's podcast and I can't remember his name. Um, but the, so in the Masonic hall, they used to do plays and they did this play. Um, what is it called? Pizarro. So there's this play putter on her. (laughs) (laughs) What's that guy's? I don't know. I don't know. He he didn't write the play, but he wanted to, to put on a play so he came to Nauvoo and was like you guys want to put on this play and Brigham Young was like Psh, yeah and so Brigham Young plays Pizarro or like I don't know one of the main characters and like they have in the Masonic Hall they have that that cast list um on display oh here's you know the cast list for the show Pizarro that they put on and like Eliza R. Snow's in there and like he versus Kimball's probably in there I don't know but like it's up there you can look you can find it anywhere um but what I found really interesting on this podcast that I can't remember the name of, they talk about how 
um, that's the origin of the play that they put on in the temple that is now a video. Uh, but Brigham Young really enjoyed playing this part. And so he later, and she lists it in Annalisa Young's book, she, she, she lists the cast, cast list. And guess who's playing God? <laughs> Brigham. Brigham Young. And Eliza and Eliza, Snow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is, sorry. Is, She's is playing Eve. Eve. Who and, plays Adam? I don't Which remember. is wild to think because Brigham Young had the Adam God theory. <laughs> so uh, so Brigham should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. Um, was, I, it, was it Bennett who played the devil? No, I thought it was John Dee Lee. Oh, it was probably John Dee Lee. I'm probably sure right. the cast No, no, changed. it couldn't have been Bennett because Bennett was kicked out in 42. So yeah, it had to so be I Lee. Yeah. So anyway, so and I'm sure it changed depending oh, on yeah. like who had time to play. Wait, I, I remember. Play, but I just thought it was really interesting that like that's where Brigham Young probably got the idea to have the play put on in the temple um, was from this Pizarro <laughs> theater thing that well, they put I, on. I, I want to look that up because I want to see what it looked like during Joseph's time. Because, like, the only temple that Joseph was in that was finished was the Kirtland Temple. And, and that one looks more like just a church building. It does look just like a church building. And also, the, we have, I don't know if, who else talks about this, but I think in Analyze's book, she talks about them having dances in the temple. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And... That and Brigham would even have, da- I don't know, it wasn't the Kirtland Temple, but um, in Quinn's book, he talks about Brigham would have dances exclusively for men. So men would dance with men. Uh, Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I keep going. I don't know. Anyway, my point is that they probably didn't have like a nailed down endowment session the way they do now. Well, I, I heard a quote where Joseph, they did the endowment session and Joseph was like, okay, Brigham, now I'm giving this over to you and you, you, you work out the details, basically. Like you iron all of this stuff out yeah so like there was some kind of ritual yeah so that in i and i don't have any proof for this but in my mind that the the handshakes part um in the the very ritualistic part that was probably joseph's input and then the the whole dramatized version of the adam and eve story that is kind of really out there and makes (laughs) zero sense um according to history or anything that was probably Brigham Young because he was a very big fan of himself and his creative abilities. And, yeah, so he probably wrote that and they all just had to play along, even though it makes no sense that they're like, do you have any money? And it's like, who are you going to give money to? There's nobody else on the earth except for Adam and Eve, right? <laughs> what are we going to buy? What, what is this What are we buying? What is this for? Are we going to go out and get a coffee? Like, what? <laughs> but, well, so when you were talking, this is a random mission story, but... Um, so I served my mission in Salt Lake. And so there was a couple of times where very special occasions where we got to go to the Salt Lake temple and watch this play. And so somebody plays a God and, and somebody plays the devil and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, all the different characters. And then in my, probably, I think it was my last area. Um, we met with our ward mission leader and I was like, why do you look so familiar? And he was like, yeah, I don't know why you look familiar either. And then I was like really trying to figure it out. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're the devil. <laughs> and he, was, he was like, oh, yeah, you were in the temple. And I was like, yeah, like, you you did a really good job. You were really creepy. He was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to take that. But, okay, whatever. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, and, you know, the devil in the original, in the original play <laughs> slithered along the floor. And then also the one of the original ones is that they, they had a fake tree. Mm-hmm. And almost, like, everyone acted as Adam and Eve. They didn't mm-hmm. have a, they didn't have a, a simple, what is that called? Sample uh, couple. <laughs> what is that called? Um, when you do something, proxy couple mm-hmm. or whatever you call it. Everyone got up and they pulled a fruit from the tree and the fruit. <laughs> those raisins. <laughs> it was little raisins tied to the branches. And you <laughs> and they like, plucked your little fruit from the tree. 
And then you had to run from the devil and hide from. And God you had to go in the corner and, and like and like hide. And anyway, it sounds really interactive and probably like especially you would not fall asleep during those yeah, sessions, especially <laughs> if you had like a little you know taste beforehand. This was probably a wild experience. Oh wait, wasn't that a thing? Didn't they? Yeah. Drink? Was that part of the uh, endowment or well, I mean part I of the? At what time period? Who knows. All I know is that Brigham Young also brewed whiskey, so probably. He had a whole vineyard. Like, mm. like a, didn't he make his own wine? Uh, all I know is did that you know she the, talks the about wine? the whiskey, and she said that he did a very poor job and nobody liked it. Ew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whiskey's gross anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if I've had whiskey. I think you, you've tried it, but oh, you yeah. would have had a straight shot. Oh, yeah. There's that's, no way you would have liked it. Really <laughs> um, what was I going to say about it? I don't know. Were you, were you going to talk about fireball whiskey? <laughs> Oh, no, but that is really funny, though. When <laughs> the washing and anointings was, you were in a bath of fireball whiskey. Cinnamon whiskey. Cinnamon whiskey. That sounds like it would burn. <laughs> well, any, sorry, that was... <laughs> like, oh, we're done. Wait, I, I want to talk about a whole bunch of other stuff, too. Um, yeah. Okay, so anyway, so if you need more information on any of these things, Julia has posted quite a lot of it on her website. Um, what is your website? A- AnalyzingMormonism.com analyzing not analyza <laughs> yeah that's kind of analyzing mormonism.com um there you can also donate to the cause to keep julia doing this because um, so, she does not get paid yeah I, I have a lot of um commenters or i guess a few tbm commenters that are like well yeah you just get paid to make hateful content and i was like I'm flattered that you think I get paid to do this. <laughs> like um, she does this for the love. <laughs> I, I don't. I do not get paid. I wish I did. I really. It would have been so nice if I got paid. Anyway, would you say that that the phrase "hell hath no fury like a woman scorned" does that apply to you? My sister always says that. She always, always says that. Every time I post a video, she's like, "Oh shit!" Like <laughs> you posted Ooh. that. <laughs> she's like, "Hell hath no fury." Like I don't feel furious. I don't feel angry. I'm just sharing information. Mm. So, like, I guess you could say that. I don't know if it applies, though. I don't know if it does. I think you're more like, guys, look at this stuff I found. <laughs> Everybody, look at this. It's crazy. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I would. we would really appreciate any kind of donations because that does help. Mm-hmm. Like, without those, it's we would we end up waiting two months or a month to, to make any sort of podcast like we're doing right now because we don't have time because we have to work. Um, anyway, I thank you guys. Thank you to those who have donated. There's been like maybe like six people in the last two years that, that have given um, some amount you of donations. Shout but them out. I should. If I should any of you guys donate, we'll shout you out on this next podcast that will definitely be in two weeks. <laughs> also, I, I I've noticed an uptake and an uptick, an uptick. I'm oh, sorry, uptick. And I don't. I don't. This sounds silly of me to say this, but in fan mail, mm-hmm. where I get people will email me, especially after the. The um, human trafficking episode that I did, people are like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much for doing that. And, like, I really appreciate that because I get a lot of hate. hate. <laughs> so I love when people have positive things to say. And, like, um, somebody reached out on x and Reddit and they thanked me for my YouTube channel, which is just my the same thing as my TikTok. But I really appreciate that because YouTube is really, really hard. Everyone's really mean. So really. it's hard on your little tender heart. Yeah, I'm like America, somebody's a bully. <laughs> she's like, this person's being mean to me, and I have to read it. And she's mm-hmm. like, I don't want to read this. Tell me what it says. And I have to read it and and give her the highlights so that she doesn't have to read it. Yeah. So positive comments and follow. If any of you are are fans, please follow on YouTube because that's because YouTube is one of the few that will actually pay us 
for her work. But um, you have to achieve so many followers and so many watched and, hours and before any of that happens. And you don't have I'm not nearly enough. <laughs> I have like 600. Well, you only started like a couple months ago, so it's not really surprising. But still, I try to I try to YouTube. post one every day on YouTube, but they're just old TikTok ones, so there's not mm-hmm. there's not a lot of new content on there. Although I do post my new content there. Anyway, um, please donate, please like, please share, mm-hmm. please send me nice <laughs> comments um, um, or ice cream. Ice cream. People can't send ice cream. I know. But I also love when people nice? send books, though. I love books. Oh. Um. So. I, I'll probably post this one after I post, finally post the one, the episode we did with Jen Camp about the, um, I can't remember which ones, the part three of the Polygamous Wives. And then hopefully we'll get together with Jen and do the next part of the Polygamous Wives. And I think we have probably four more episodes on the Polygamy. <sighs> I know there's. I hope so. There's, it's so hard it's to get so to heavy. all these chapters. It's so heavy because these women are. Every story is heartbreaking. Every and single one. And so you're one. putting yourself through 33 or whatever, however many stories of these these women. That's, yeah. It's really I remember heavy. when I first started, like, so I was listening to, what is her name, Lindsay Hansen Park, mm-hmm. and her podcast about polygamy, yeah. the year of polygamy. It only took me, like, three before I was like, I'm done. The church isn't true. Polygamy is yeah. the devil. Because I, all I had to do was listen to Zina Huntington's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. her her She broke my. She broke my shelf. Yeah. I was, the other one. So it's like, okay, you know, they're single or, um, you know, they're... Or, or their husband's not members or yeah. they, they, they divorce them because those... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there could be widows. But Zina Huntington was in love with her husband and she was seven months pregnant with her husband's child when... Her active husband's child when Joseph Smith sent him on a mission and married her. No, he married her when... He, he told Henry... Yeah, whatever. but he sent Henry he was a sent him on missions and he went over on eight, and over oh, yeah, and yeah. over again. Yeah, he went on like eight missions. And then Brigham Young eventually took Zina Huntington as his wife. He took her after from Henry, and he was still alive and still capable of taking care of her, and, and still loved her. <laughs> and still, he was like, "Get out of here, Henry. She's my wife now." Like, WTF? <laughs> what? good reason is there to take a loving woman from her loving husband who she has children with what is the reason yeah there's not there there's no reason because Zaina was gorgeous and she's just hot stuff and everybody wants everybody wants some of that yeah okay anyway so sorry about that that was a lot of ranting (laughs) (laughs) okay anyway so um we will end this now and (laughs) just keep an ear out for when we post again um if not with Jen, I'm hoping it'll still be with Jen Camp. And there's no reason why it shouldn't be. We're just both really busy. And then if not, we'll just do the ones. We'll just finish out the wives by ourselves and then post that afterwards. So, yeah. Anyway, take care, you guys. Um, hopefully this wasn't too long and not boring. <laughs> okay, thanks for listening. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>